Today's episode is brought to you by the Internal Talent Awards, or ITAS for short. Yes, Craig, the very first in-person event celebrating the best of the TA industry here in Australia and New Zealand. This year, it's proudly sponsored by the ever-fabulous Smart Recruiters. Mate, we have some brilliant entertainment. Dan- not wrong. Yeah, dancers brought to you by Encore Services, a rocking DJ, 16 awards, and all very loosely tied together by us as your event MCs. And so professional we're going to be. <laughs> the Iters are in Melbourne this year. It's a black tie event with tickets on sale at our website, internaltalentawards.com. The date is the 24th of February, 2022 for the 2021 Iters. Get your tickets now. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Welcome to Tarpod, the podcast for everything talent acquisition and recruitment. We're informative, controversial, and a little bit crazy. Now, please join your hosts and industry leaders, Lauren Sharp and Craig Watson. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tarpod. I'm Craig. And I'm Lauren. And today's fabulous guest is Bruce Kibar, the founder of The Big Group. Welcome, Bruce. Welcome, Bruce. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Craig. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. So, listeners, we've taken a different tack today. We've got the big boss of the companies that you all work for coming in. Mm. So, we're going to talk at a different um, tact, a different industry than what we normally do. So, Bruce, tell us a bit about yourself and The Big Group. Well, the big group is a funny old spot. I, I sort of sometimes compare it to a, a big old circus. Um, hospitality <laughs> is really the core of our business. Um, my wife and I started a little catering company about 30 years ago um, with 500 bucks. And wow. from that, we just sort of uh, organically grew um, into multiple different disciplines. Today, um, the company, well, pre-COVID, employed about 1,400 people. Wow. Um, so people are really important assets inside our businesses. Um, and we work within a few different disciplines. So, of course, still to this day, catering um, is a major thing within the corporate, private, philanthropic and government sector. Um, we have a venues division where we um, are doing sort of corporate conferences, uh, weddings, um, social occasions, philanthropic, of course. Um, and then we uh, have a creative agency where we work fairly heavily with brand activation, um, bringing brands to life for companies um, nationally and globally. And uh, then we have a sector that just does major events. So um, Formula One, the Australian Open, uh, Grand Prix, things like that. Grand Prix is Formula One. (laughs) Um, And then a hire business that, you know, um, services all of the aspects of that business. So it's a sort of a myriad of um, interconnecting businesses, um, quite complex. But at the same time, too, as I say, we're only selling sandwiches, so it's not really brain surgery. <laughs> hey, Bruce, the, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is around the COVID piece and the pandemic, the global mm-hmm. pandemic. And along with travel, I guess events and hospitality have been the most affected industries in terms of what you can do, how lives have changed. And you said that pre-COVID you had 1,400 or so staff. What you know, With COVID, how, how has that been affected? Well, the industry has pretty much been decimated. I mean, um, we are in the worst industry in the worst state, um, suffering the worst lockdown globally. So that's something to be proud of, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So so it's really tough because um, our industry has gone from bringing joy and light and you know, and fun Mm. to to the world to being sort of vilified as sort of super spreaders. 
Um, and the lockdowns combined with the restrictions and restraint of trade have really um, had a massive um, impact onto our workforce, which was very layered to start with because we have a lot of um, temporary visa mm. holders within our industry because people are you know, just a, a product in many ways, one of the most important products, but we, we rely on a very um, heavy labour force to get things done. Um, and the internationals were very important to our business as well, um, you know, chefs, stylists, designers, um, international collaborators, uh, and then there's sort of an executive field um, as well. So it's a it's a big mix of a whole pot of whole pot of people. Yeah. So it's been tough. So it's hit your business obviously very very hard, and you've been extremely vocal about it, which I I like. Thank you for that, actually, because I think you're putting pressure on some of the people that need to listen, which is fabulous. But as you mentioned, the international people coming in, we're over 99% down on that across all industries. So when we do open up with the borders still closed, how is this going to help you ramp up and ramp up quickly? I mean, part of those um, international um, arrivals um, and, and adding to our labour force doesn't just add labour, but it also adds culture. So it's a sort of a sad day when we see, you know, not having that broad um, cultural diversity inside our labour force. Uh, but it, it's really very difficult for these businesses to get back into their operating rhythm. Um, we're called hospitality for a reason because we're supposed to be hospitable. And, you know, overnight um, we found with these lockdowns is we were closed, you know, with two hours notice. So there's a whole procedure just with closing but the reopening and the rescaling of these businesses and sort of the remarketing of the industry more broadly is probably the greatest challenge that we will face so um you know re um, building our armies of hospitality staff uh, is the greatest the greatest hurdle that we have ahead so it's going to be very tough yeah, I can imagine that there'd be a lot of um, mental health challenges too, not only with the, the staff that you have that you're you know, not able to keep in the work that they're accustomed to, but also a lot of the clients, you know, large weddings, large events. Um, Lauren, for instance, Lauren and I have been organising a large event for our industry over the last year and a half and, you know, we've had to change it three times now and you can see the stress on the uh, event space and, and all those sort of things. So you've got double whammy you've got the staff that you probably feel a little bit responsible for and you can't get them any work and you've got no idea what's going on from one day to the next just look at the changes with the afl over the last couple of weeks they were in perth and they weren't then some could go then some couldn't all these sorts of things that are changing plus your clients it must be bloody terrible no it's really tough i mean the one thing about the hospitality industry and especially the major event sector is you know part of our um, core nature is flexibility um, and problem and solution, you know, problem, problem solving and solution providing. So that's part of it. But at the end, you know, your adrenal glands can only keep going for so long. Mm. And these guys have been sort of fighting a war in many ways for 18, 19 months. And it's very disheartening because part of what our industry is full of is people pleasers. You know, part of mm. being in hospitality is you want to make people happy. And for the last 18 months, it's been a very difficult piece of the pie to achieve so a lot of very disappointed brides and people within the social sector um, and then the corporate you know constantly changing um, you know borders open borders closed seven sets of different rules for different um, states and territories wow. so there's huge amount of um, challenges so it's been very interesting also too from a 
cultural point of view inside the business to see those who are really able to you know cope and manage that but also for us to be really acutely aware of that we're all going to have really bad days inside there and respecting and understanding that has been a really important part of it um the mental health um sector is is huge you know and it's been very much um underestimated i think by the government in regards to their response the collateral damage for me is far worse than what the covid um impacts are as we sort of ease out of that but yeah young young men are the highest to commit suicide and um we have an industry that's layered with you know, 18 to 25 year olds so it's a high risk workforce and we have to be very very careful um for them Mm. So look, we're looking into our crystal ball and moving forward because, as we, you said, we are coming out of this very, very slowly, but we've not been given many guidelines um, to date. And the mandatory vaccination conversation has been going on for a couple of months now, but it's really beginning to hit that peak. And this so-called vaccine passport or booklet or whatever they want to call it, they can name it whatever, it's going to become a compulsory thing. How do you think that that's going to affect your industry and your staff? It's a really contentious issue, right? You know, and, mm. and I think the problem these days is we have so much information and um, so we're all experts. So that, that always <laughs> becomes tricky. Um, added, we're not as con, you know, placent or some compliant is probably the better word as perhaps maybe what we were 10, 20, 30 years ago with regards to um, authority. So, look, a lot of people are up in arms about it. It's very easy to be up in arms about it when your business hasn't been as affected as perhaps, you know, what hospitality and major events has. Mm. Equally, you know, if we're looking out into the global examples of what has happened from a case study perspective, the vax port or the, you know, the proof of double vaccination um, has worked very well in, in, in different sectors to the point where it then is actually being released. So I think people have to look at it as a temporary gap stop. Um, it's not the ideal way that we want to... Um, approach societal living, um, and I, and we've been very um, vocal about rapid antigen testing because we believe there are people who cannot, um, for medical reasons, get vaccinated, or people who choose not to get vaccinated. So um, we believe that the rapid antigen testing for hospitality, especially for major events, provides a sort of a secure way that we can um, have environments that are as best COVID-free if all people are tested. So you know it's. It's a, it's a do-si-do and a roundabout, but <laughs> if we don't have a line in the sand, we cannot move forward. Um, we were vilified in that, that we were the first to close. Our staff, you know, are not considered frontline workers, but they are. We have to ensure that the environment that they're in is as safe as possible for them. Um, and there's still a massive amount of legality that has not been resolved by government, which puts hospitality in a very difficult situation of being the caretakers of this vaxport. So I think, you know, we need a lot of guidelines to support that mm. because that's our concern as an industry. Mm. I think it also comes down to uh, your concern as an employer because you've got that, you've got the onus on you to provide a safe workplace for your employees and to make sure that they are performing their best in the best environment that you can provide. So I think that's the, where we need to really get over that hurdle. And I consider anyone in a customer-facing role, such as hospitality or working in any service industry, you are going to be frontline. You are meeting people constantly. You are going to be faced with this disease. So I, I just really, I personally think that the mandatory vaccination is, it's not something that we haven't had before. So I can't see a real issue with it moving forward, especially for our staff in these industries. 
Mm. No, yeah. I agree with you. But there has to always be some grey. That's the problem because um, as much as mm. you and I would say the, the best safety for our staff is for them to be vaccinated, some people would say the exact opposite. And so the enforcing a vaccination onto them is is the most unsafe thing mm. for them to do. So, you know, there's a lot of people who have um, autoimmune compromised um, health systems. There are a lot of people with um, respiratory issues, asthma, et cetera, and so, uh, let alone blood clotting. So, but this is a very small percentage. Um, so mm. I just think we, we need to sort of lean into that. Now, if that means for three to six months, those people who are disenfranchised from that point of view cannot enjoy the freedoms that those who are vaccinated are all this is for me is a reversal of the system um, that we've had for the last 18 19 months where we've locked up mm. the entire population if i was um, immune compromised i'd be making some personal decisions for my own health so i think we're in this reversal of um staging where one's health is actually their own concern and they need to protect themselves or lock themselves down um in order to protect protect their health I've heard you talking about the rapid antigen testing on some other in some other media, and very you know recently you said that let's say seventy percent of people are, are vaccinated, double vaccinated, and so you've got a hundred people in a room, seventy are, are vaccinated, and they can walk into an event, and thirty would have to go through the rapid antigen testing. Isn't this another um, area where you have to upskill your own staff to provide? This is another cost or another part of the process that you as an employer are wearing to to help us get back to normal, but also, more importantly, uh, get your people into work? Yeah, look, I couldn't agree with you more. Look, in the UK, they sent out the rapid antigen testing immediately free to every household for a seven-day check. So it just become, it became part of standard um, operation. The thing with rapid antigen testing, it really leans more into major events, which, um, you know, up to this stage, we have not been able to get anything up and running for larger scale numbers. And when I'm saying larger numbers, I'm talking 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. What our industry is sort of saying is on any Saturday, you can have 4,003 people at IKEA Richmond, but we can't have 5,000 people at a racing track or a football match, you know, mm -hmm. um, socially distanced with masks, etc. So what the industry is trying to do is say this rapid antigen testing is providing one more line of defence um, that could work very well for large-scale numbers. So it's not a miracle. You know, all it is is another mm -hmm. line of defence like a mask, like QR coding and social distancing. The cost to business is tough. Um, without question, but I, I, I would sort of pose that to say, would we not rather be open and trading and maybe making that a user pay experience um, in order mm. to get businesses back up and open? The next zero to 12 months is really about survival of the industry and trying to get revenue back in the door for each and every business. So however that has to happen, we have to work towards it. Mm. Uh, I find it it's... You don't realise, I think, until the last 18, 19 months that we've really seen the knock-on effect of this hitting one industry, then it just, the dominoes that just keep on falling and falling, that just come fit into everything, really, like right down to your florists and all of your other suppliers uh, and everything, which then that also then flows on to my industry in tech and into Craig's industry as well. And, and it just... I'm still gobsmacked with what's happened with our world and that we're still in this situation 12 months later. <laughs> yeah, it's very sad. I mean, one of, one of the big things for an, an industry like hospitality and events is we, you know, we had so many sole traders who provide, you know, the most beautiful, uh, could be cakes, 
stationary um, mm. artists, singers, dancers, mm. celebrants, um, marquee people, hirers. Blah, blah. And a lot of these people were sole traders. And, and they've had to leave the industry because there was no support. Well, firstly, of the, you know, as you know, the temporary visa holders had no support from government. So that sort of wiped up that entire sector. Um, and then it was the sole traders who also had no support. But so many people who provided great um, supply chain into the industry have left. That they're working for Coles, Woolworths, Optus, you know, mm. in sectors that needed um, more recruitment. So this is a really bad thing for our industry because, you know, that creative intent um, has sort of left the room. And it will, it, of course, it will come back. It always does. But th there's a really big gap there. And then inside our actual true industry, a lot of um, our industry professionals have left as well because the, um, you know, the hour insecurity, the job insecurity, the infinite time plans. Um, you know, if you're, you're a single income, you know, with a family trying to pay a mortgage, that industry has become too unsafe for you to work in. So there's a massive rebuild of brand and there's a rapid, a massive rebuild of just getting good people back into our industry to rebuild it. Yeah. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but earlier this month in an interview, you said 540 days without revenue in the arts and hospitality industry. That's, That's correct. That's nearly so two years. Yeah, I know. Isn't it insane? So what people don't realise when they look at our sector, and this has been one of the one of the big fights from the beginning, was mm. to sort of define off that there is a very big difference between retail and hospitality and then even hospitality and events. In the retail sector, you close your shop on a Friday, your stock is non-tangible, non so it stays on the hangers or stays in the shelves. And when you open up two weeks later, it's all there ready to go. For hospitality, you know, it is labour hours, it is experience, it's flowers. You know, there's, it, there's no shelf life on that and there's mm. no shelf life on a memory. They're gone as well. Yeah. So, you know, that is a really difficult part of our industry and our sector in order to survive. So that has hurt us a lot, um, the lack of understanding. So we have the lockdown days and then when the lockdown finishes, um, as well, I know we'll be talking post Sunday, but of course there's an announcement on Sunday. Um, the restrictions and density limits don't allow large-scale businesses in hospitality to open up. So, yeah, 540 days of zero revenue is very tough for business to maintain. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I couldn't echo your comments any more loudly. My wife's a celebrant, full-time celebrant, and she's got a, quite a tight network. And, and at least, I would say at least, and I, I throw figures around a lot, so, but I reckon at 75 to 80% of people that were full-time in that capacity, either celebrant, photographers, florists, um, those sort of things have had to find additional work and go back to things like, you know, things they were doing five, ten years ago, bookkeeping or, or stuff that they could mm. just put put food on the plate of um, their family and it's difficult. And not only that, you know, we talk about the international people that support in hospitality, so a large part of your workforce, but those people who who aren't um, international and local, they're having to find other opportunities too. And the problem, well, it's good in one way, but the problem for your industry is that other industries like tech are you know, just going out of control. So there's opportunities at junior level that weren't there. So to get people back to hospitality, even at those, those mid-entry levels, it's going to be mm. difficult because they've had career changes during this last 18 months through necessity. Without question. Um, and, and that, as I say, you know, is our greatest challenge. So how do you get them back? Mm. Um, there's also, too, another issue that sits in, aside to that is yes, one is um, the shift of people leaving industry, but the other is sort of a welfare apathy. 
So, you know, if you're 21 years of age and, you know, you've been getting $750 from the government every week, you're not too incentivized to get back behind the bar and, you know, running all day, you know, keeping people happy, serving meals or dishwashing, et cetera. Mm. So that um, ease of getting this country off welfare and back into uh, realistic jobs at realistic job rates um, is a very important thing. And that's going to be tough as well. Yeah, it's mm. there's a lot more. I mean, you know, we talked about mental health, but there's a lot more to us coming out of this um, than just turning the light bulb back on and saying, "Oh, fantastic, we're we're all in play again." Yeah, especially in an industry that is a high, you know, it's a high emotional investment. It's, it's a lot about culture. It's about team. Um, but as I say, once again, we're selling experiences, so we don't have a collection of jumpers on a shelf or a box of nails. Um, this is a sort of a highly curated experience business. So that that takes a lot of moving parts to bring that back in an authentic way. So do you think as we open up, like you're saying, not switching the lights on or just switching the lights on, do you think there's going to be any hesitancy out there for people to come back into a, an event or a big event? Or do you think people will be jumping at the bit to get oh. out of their house? <laughs> I think, yeah, no, 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 there's definitely a two-speed economy that will happen. And, and that's a really interesting piece. So um, I'll sort of break it down. Like from a corporate perspective, you know, where we may have done a, a corporate gala dinner for 1500 that dinner may now be 700 Companies aren't going to spend that um, travel budget that they used to straight away. So we'll have a virtual event running at the same time as an in-real-life event. So that will change the dichotomy of the, the way corporate eventing looks like. Um, on the flip, then, you know, just your general customer who wants to get out, see their mates or celebrate, you know, Betsy's wedding or Bobby's 21st or 40th, whatever it is, there's a massive tsunami of people with um, a high um, disposable income because they haven't been to Bali or mm. bought a new dress or been to a restaurant. So there's a huge amount of work coming from that sector. So um, we see that there will be you know, massive um, you know, runs on the board with regards to that. But there will be a sector of the community who are totally you know, in the rat hole or the rabbit hole, and they won't be able to just re-engage with society. That will take time because they have fear. Um, and I think the media have a great, uh, a great responsibility in, in how that fear was created. And they won't come back into the market um, as early as the early adapters. Mm. And mm. following on, so almost similar to what Lauren was saying, and even following on from yours around the hesitancy, there's also, a, um, in your industry, a lack of dates, right? You know, like all this stuff that's been re, you know, the dates have changed, dates have changed, and new people coming into the market, you know, talking weddings or corporate events, you're going to run out of dates as well. So there's that couple of years where everything's going to be just crazy. You're working on stuff that might have been three years ago and trying to plan for somebody who wants something now, but sorry, you can't have it now for a year. Or It's very different. Well, the wedding sector is a perfect example of that because, um, you know, for bride and groom, they may have between 12 and 25 suppliers locked on a certain date, the church, the celebrant, as you said, the florist, hair, makeup, the venue, etc. And so to then recalibrate all of those suppliers and then push back three months or, you know, another six months or three. So that's a huge amount of what's causing great emotional distress in that sector. So when it comes back, it will be busy. Um, that said, there's also an element of client fatigue where they are just like, you know, that they may have been engaged when they were, you know, 25, nearly three years ago, and they were to have their wedding in March 2020. And now they may not be married until um, 2023, 2024. 
So for a lot of these young people, it's very hard. And then there may be religious overtones where they can't actually live together and start yeah. their family and start their life. So it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure. What about? Can I just ask a question about? So Lauren works very heavily in the tech space, and what we've seen during this year is this huge demand for tech people, and what it's caused is uh, you know increase in salaries and increase in expected rates. Now, when events and hospitality gets turned on bang, and you find that you've got to attract people back in as workers, are you foreseeing the same sort of things? How are you going to manage you know, the demand versus the supply of, of staff that could come into the space? It's going to be very difficult. That's why I say I think there's a remarketing issue um, of the industry more broadly. The problem in Australia, I, I find, you know, and let's not talk, we're not talking executive here, we're talking sort of general frontline staff. Um, it's not considered um, a, an admirable profession as so it would be in Europe per se. So I think there's a really important rebranding piece to sort of get that mm. excitement and get mm-hmm. that joy back. I mean, part of what people used to do is they'd be leaving um, large corporate or, or leaving, you know, government roles to come into the events industry because it was fun and glamorous and, you know, great things happening. So that shift has gone because of that. So we have to rebuild the energy of the fun factor um, because we do have fun, you know, and, and I wouldn't mm. be doing this 30 years later <laughs> unless I went to work every day and, and had a good time. And and I also have a, a huge amount of faith that the other side of COVID for this business is very strong. Of course, tech, you know, is, is changing absolutely and revolutionising the way we live. However, I think if COVID has taught us anything, especially in this um, sector of um, in real life experiences, is we want the, the, the physicality of being close to people again and we want to see joy and we want to hear music and yeah. arts and culture and live entertainment, I think we'll have a massive renaissance and I think that's brilliant for the business. So that's where the opportunity lies. And so um, even if you look at the live sector, the amount of artists who haven't come to Australia, once we start bringing those people mm. back and we start getting that energy going again, it, it, it's exciting and fun and you know we'll have a brilliant run on the other side of it. The key is to try to keep everyone holding on to the boat um, to get to the other side so that they get to enjoy the upswing as well. But yeah. the recruitment along the way, is we've got to drive the excitement to get the, recruit, <laughs> the, recruit, the right recruits in. Okay, so we know spring carnival's coming up, right, which will be a massive time of year ordinarily for, for your industry and for yourself. Are you planning for there to be events? Are you planning – and do you have A, B, C, D? Are you, like, there must be just – it's crazy. <laughs> it, you know, cra- crazy is absolutely the word. I mean, I've never had more. I mean, we always used to have a, a, a fine weather and a wet weather plan <laughs> in the old days. <laughs> now, now we have a no crowds of 5,000 capacity or 20,000 capacity <laughs> of this, that. So, well, look, we're working on multiple modules. I mean, the most important thing for us at the moment is to be really responsive to what our clients need to try to get our staff work, you know, to, to get runs mm. on the board. So that's a really important thing. So we, you know, are doing a lot of work that's virtual. So we're building a lot of studios. So um, we need to still tell stories and share content to keep brands alive. That's one of the most important things that really you do in an event. Like an event is a lovely thing to drink champagne, but people only drop, you know, a hundred thousand, couple of million dollars, whatever, for um, specific ROI for that business. So we can still tell those stories in different ways, but yes, it's very arduous um, to keep on changing the game and the plan to adapt. Mm. But we are planning mm. for it. We, we are in the process now of really needing to actually train our staff to get them ready for that season, which normally for us begins early um, or mid, mid-August. We are normally doing massive recruitment. At the moment, we're not even allowed to train 
So it's quite hard to, you know, um, recruit, um, you know, get the culture across and then train via Zoom. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, it doesn't really work in our industry. So um, we're desperately hoping that with some changes, we may be able to start training the staff and having some contact with them. I think what we're learning, Lauren, with more and more people that we speak to this year that, you know, with with the changes with COVID in your industry, you can go and buy more tablecloths or find a marquee and source something, but the people side of it is so unpredictable because when you get the green light, you know, you're not sure they're going to be there and every single one of them has got a different reaction to this situation. You know, it's, mm. it's just such a difficult, um, you know, path to navigate the, the recruitment in uncertain times, right? And nationally, that's been the case as well. So look in sectors like Queensland that have had fairly reasonable run of tourism. Of course, the borders um, have caused them a lot of trouble. But, you know, uh, little places like Port Douglas and Noosa, et cetera, they were closing on certain days and regional Victoria was the same because they physically couldn't get the staff. So they can't get back mm. to capacity revenue. They just don't have the people to service it. So that's a, you know, that is a really big problem. Um, if you then parlay that into the hotel sector, you know, hotel tourism, which is, you know, been hugely devastated, um, you know, to rebuild those executive structures within all these hoteliers, um, around Australia, that is going to be a massive, massive um, task ahead as well because travel and tourism will come back in a massive yeah. um, rush as well. But then that hotel needs to be full with housekeeping staff, front-of-house staff, sales staff, and they've all gone, you know. Yeah. So mm. um, without the support, um, no one can maintain a full um, suite of staff that, you know, they had to be stood down. Well, by Christmas, actually, a little bit of a fun fact for us, our negative population growth, we're going to lose approximately 70,000 people by the end of this year. So it's not going to help anything on our hiring front across many, many industries. And I think the pressure needs to be on the federal government to start opening those borders up and letting more planes of holiday makers tourists and more so working visa holders yeah. and expats to come back into our country. We need – Australia has been shown and highlighted, I think, over the last two years that without immigration, we can't function. Correct, correct. But, you know, in the temporary – in the gap in between, what we do need from government is, you know, industry-specific support – where we can have um, support for training of staff, mm. um, support for making. I mean, the job maker program is very arduous and it, it's really designed for those who have been on welfare for a certain period of time. Mm. Um, you know, our theory was that, you know, a job keeper um, personnel should have been able to be part of the job maker program. Mm. However, the job maker program is specifically designed for those who were previously on the dole. So, you know, in our sector, that's very difficult and we need some support there because, um, you know, getting people back to work and enjoying it again, it takes a lot from recruitment to getting them to the position they are. And that's a big cost to the working capital of these businesses. And most of working capital for the industry has been destroyed. Yeah. Even I've been saying for a little while, actually, that I think that the government needs to step in at an education level of a post-high school and start looking at the hex fees and all of those types of things and start reducing them so we can start home-growing some of our own tech talent instead of having to import it all the time when you look at the skill shortage lists and give the give Australian citizens a discount on their hex fees for doing um, IT courses, etc. Um, start giving business some financial incentive for training programs to reskill people coming out of different industries that they no longer have the flavour for post-COVID. We need to see more 
I think it's more mobility skills, as we call it, when you're looking at internal mobility and retraining people within your organisation. We need to do it at a national level. Well, that, that, that's the term, isn't it? If, had we gone into this COVID as a national-aligned country instead mm. of having seven little Indians doing seven <laughs> different things, um, at God only knows what cost to have seven chief health officers and seven uh, COVID manuals and seven business cards. I mean, what a disaster. So, you know, you look at a country like France or the UK or anywhere, you know, it was a national approach. And mm. I think that was one of the greatest mistakes and a learning for Australians. We didn't realise how Federation really tallied this huge amount of power to the premiers versus the prime minister who has had very little, you know, voice or power over the whole thing. Yeah, I think that it's really, really important to make sure that we are planning for the next stage or the next phase. And that could be, you know, it doesn't really matter. Right now, the work could be going into when we do open up, getting a working holiday visa or getting a visa to come and support hospitality and events. We know the industry's fruit picking. We know the industries that are going to struggle as soon as we, you know, mm. and are already struggling, have things in place now to make it easier for people to get here when the planes can come back. So it's done. It's not, oh, the planes are allowed. Let's go and start now. Oh, let's worry about how we get people or what we do then. Yeah, there's been a lot of, um, you know, and it's very easy to sit on the outside of that decision-making and say there's been a lot of inaction. However, one would think if you were the Minister for Jobs, that would have been one of the highest tally points of where you would be at. Yeah. And also, too, from a government, they're, they're the kind of positive solutions that I think citizens need to hear um, rather than this daily obsession about numbers, etc. So what, what I think we need to hear in Victoria is positivity and solutions and some strategic thinking and planning so that we do realise what 2022, 23 and 24 will look like. Um, it's, a lot of people are just frozen, though, in their decision-making based on a day-by-day, week-by-week response. And I think that um, is very, you know, very disadvantageous to mm. business because we need time and we need to plan and we need to regrow and rescale these businesses. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very fascinating time of leadership. It is, and there's going to be a lot more change before before we get to the <laughs> to the finishing post, isn't it? Oh, I yeah. just want a restaurant booking and an aperol oh. spritz in my hand. Go to I a show, go out dancing, get out of my activewear. <laughs> yeah, correct. And, and and that that's that's a very strong sentiment across the board. And the tricky thing for the hospitality industry is what we need to provide for you is a brilliant barman, you know, who's going to squeeze oh. that spritz up like you wouldn't believe, someone fabulous on the phone to take your order and make you feel special. And then we need to, you know, QR code you, check your mask, make sure you've got your vaccine passport, give you a rapid test, make sure you're socially distanced, get you to the table, <laughs> and make sure you have a fabulous time. So, you know, to get all of that lined up, that's a lot of work to, you know, get that operating rhythm and that energy back. But that's our challenge. We have to make that happen. And we're kind of excited to see our customers back because we've, we've missed them. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll have so many bookings coming up soon. You'll be going, oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> we want a holiday again. <laughs> well, that, that, that is the problem, though, because we're the feast and famine market. So, you know, you, you, the, the bookings are there, but then the, the depreciation is if we don't look after them correctly, that customer is more vocal and, you know, that their expectation is, is DC before COVID. Their expectation mm. isn't, oh, I'd just be happy with a party pie and a cask of wine, you know. Um, that's the problem. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure, you know, and it doesn't matter if you're a performer on the stage or you're a performer, you know, as a waiter bringing something to the table, you know, that customer expectation has not diminished in any way. In fact, it is higher. 
So, you know, that puts more mm. pressure on. I think that just looking forward to being out is just keeping me going at the moment. Yeah. Mm. Same. And it's been Same. fascinating talking to, to you, Bruce, being the founder of the, the largest privately owned events and hospitality company or catering company in Australia and understanding the challenges you have, you know, with such a large mobile workforce and all the restrictions around, it's been really, really good for us because we tend to talk to other talent acquisition people about their concerns mm. in, inside, but we're talking to, you know, getting a much bigger picture, not only of, of a business, but of an industry. So thanks so much for joining us today. It's been great. It's been fantastic. It has. Absolute Thank you so pleasure. much, Bruce. Yeah. It's kind of good to change your day, you know, otherwise every day is like bloody groundhog. <laughs> <laughs> fun to talk about something different so thank you for the opportunity well yes thank you very much for joining us i love listening to you and keep pushing yeah keep, keep pushing, it out yeah, there keep pushing. and <laughs> on that you. note that's a goodbye for me and a goodbye for me everybody thank you bye-bye Today's episode was brought to you by the Internal Talent Awards. The ITAs are in Melbourne, so get your tickets now at internaltalentawards.com. And don't forget to tell them, Tarpod sent you. Thanks for listening to Tarpod. Please don't forget to subscribe and look out for upcoming podcasts. A couple of minutes on, on the, you know, the Brucey story. Mm-hmm. Only my wife gets to call me Brucey. So oh, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> that's, a, that's the one. That's the one only opportunity for you. So that, All right. that's gone. Strike one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give him strike two for that, Bruce, because he already stuffed up the volume. Oh, jeez, I'm, I'm on my last one. All right, are we ready to go then, Lauren?